So we're in Philippians chapter 4, and we are in verses 14 to 23. So I'm just going to read that last section, and then we're going to have a little look and hopefully um, see what God has got to say to us through it. So it starts in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is Paul speaking. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintances with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So we come today to, I say, we wrap things up to the whole subject of giving unto God. And the subject of money is perhaps one of the most difficult things to talk about. It's certainly frowned upon to ask someone how much they earn. So when we come to talk about things like tithing and giving and even generosity, it can be sometimes easy to offend people. Yet something like 25% of Jesus' teaching actually involved money and giving. Now in the UK, it is said or estimated that about 60% of the population actually gives to charity. Um, they give between three quarter a percent up to about 2% of their income to various charitable places. Now those who claim to be Christians, we would like to think we do better. The truth is, we don't really. We give, on average, they say about 3% of our income goes to charity, goes to the, includes the work of the church and to the building of God's kingdom. The sad truth is that most Christians only give a little money and a little time to God. Now, my desire in talking about this is, is not to lay some guilt trip on people, okay? So let's clear it up for a second, okay? That's not the purpose of this. We're obviously dealing with this little section of Scripture, so we can't really avoid it in, in essence as well. But actually, the purpose, the, the purpose here really is just simply to ask the question, what does the Bible say about giving? 
So when we look at generosity, and it's one of our values, of course, to be generous in everything, that's, that's one of the things that God spoke to us very early on in the, in the church. When we look at this whole aspect of generosity, of course, it doesn't just involve our money, it involves time, it involves our attitudes, it involves the way in which we love and care for one another, and that comes out in very, very practical ways, of course. And actually, it's very clear from these last few verses of the book of Philippians that Paul loves the Philippians because they had given themselves over to God and they just exuded generosity in every aspect of their lives. And their, give, their giving wasn't some sort of mechanical obedience to some strict rules on tithing or, or something similar to that. They give with a radical generosity. There's that radical again, okay, that radical generosity to understand why they did this, perhaps we need to just go back and look at a little bit of the biblical background to, to giving it within, within scriptures, okay? So that's where we're going to go first of all, and then we're going to get into the little section. So the Old Testament teaches a lot about tithing. Um, the word tithing, as the name suggests, is, is basically 10% of a person's income. But actually in the Old Testament, there was more than one tithe, so the average Jew would give one-tenth of their income to the ministry of the priests and to the work of the temple. They would then give another tenth that would be set aside for feasts, for celebrations, for parties, and for holidays. Bearing in mind, in those days, they don't have any holiday pay from their work, okay? So they put aside a certain amount of money for holidays, for parties, and for fun, Good idea? I think so. I think it's a good idea, okay? Um, and then they would, they would also give or be encouraged to give to help the poor. Again, there's no, there's no social security benefits. There's no way if somebody loses their job or is unable to work, the government in those days would not step in and help them out. So, okay, so, so they were encouraged to give. Now, Farmers would be asked or at least encouraged to leave crops as they're harvesting the field. They were to leave enough crops so those who weren't able to work could come along behind and collect up some grain at least to put food on their tables. A good example of this is found in the story of Ruth. Ruth, a foreigner who comes from Moab to back to Canaan, comes with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and she goes out into the fields, happens to be Boaz's field, who is a relative of her mother-in-law, not by chance, by God's provision, and we see the generosity of Boaz in providing, um, and, and in fact, he encourages the workers to leave extra grain, to drop extra grain on purpose so that she gets a lot, and she's actually able to get enough food to both to feed herself and to feed her mother-in-law, in fact, more besides. But Boaz was just doing what the Old Testament law required him to do, but he was generous in the way he did it as well, of course. And then, of course, there are special offerings recorded in the Old Testament. So we um, hear of building projects. So if you can remember that far back to before Christmas to the story of Nehemiah, okay, there's a great example there in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 37 to 38, where uh, uh, basically they organized a special collection, a special offering towards the building of the walls of Jerusalem. So if you add all of that up, okay, you come up with a grand total that the average Old Testament person or Jew would give at least, I say at least 
25% of their income to the work of God and to the poor. We then come to perhaps one of the most dramatic and perhaps hardest-hitting passages in all of Scripture towards the end of the Old Testament in a book called Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12, it says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing God? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me, because the whole tithe, sorry, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in your house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit because it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You see, God's people were not bringing their gifts and their tithes to God, and God simply tells them, you are are robbing me. You are stealing from God. And the consequence of this, of course, are worth noting. The windows of heaven is closed down and God's blessing has been removed from them. And there is this link suggested here between our generosity and God's blessing on us. You see, if our attitude towards God, or at least to the things that God has given to us, that this is mine, and we sort of hold on to it with our hands closed, with clenched fists, it means not only can we not give it away, we just hold on to it tightly so we can't give it away, but also we're not able to receive anything either. And God encourages us to have open hands. Open hands that both can give away, but also able to receive back from God as well, to receive the blessing that God actually does want to pour into our lives. And God wants us to be good distributors of His wealth, to be willing to both give and to receive. That's what Paul talks about when we get to Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses, verses 16, it says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will be able to reap bountifully. And as we said last week, this is not about financial gain, okay? We're not not going in that direction. It's not about some sort of financial formula. If we give X amount of money to God, then we can say, well, God's going to give us X amount of money back from us. That's not what the Bible teaches on this. The way in which God pours out His blessing and in what form that takes, only God knows. God knows, and God will bless us, but we, we cannot, there's, there's not a, it's not about putting formulas in place, okay? That's not the way the Bible works. We need to trust in a sovereign God who knows us better than we know ourselves, who will give us all that we need. And again, we said last week, this is not about 
getting our greed. This is getting our need. And God knows. God knows us so much better than we know ourselves. And some people will be abundantly blessed because of their hard work, but be blessed within their business, within their work, and they will be financially rich and righteous. And the key here is living righteously before God, financially rich and righteous. And God has seen that they can be trusted with much, so he blesses them with much, knowing, knowing that they will give generously to the work of God, to the work of missions, and to the work of the poor. And other people will be poor and righteous, but equally blessed by God blessed differently by God, but equally blessed by God. And for most of us, we're somewhere in the middle of all of that. But the case, we're, we're not looking for material wealth. We don't give in order to receive. God gives to you as God gives to you, and God will bless some of you more than others in the financial sense, okay? Be thankful what God does and how he does that, and then use it wisely for his glory. But whatever your circumstances... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and it says, And all these things will be added unto you. And God is no man's debtor. God will not leave you. As you give unto him, God will bless you. The resources of heaven are so much greater than any resource that you could ever have but God will bless you as you need, as he knows you need, not necessarily as you think you want. So as we move into the New Testament, we see that the New Testament actually builds on the teaching of the Old Testament. Now, it's worth bearing in mind that these Philippians, these Christians in Philippi, they were Gentiles. Okay, so they wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily come from this very strong Jewish heritage of giving and tithing in particular. So it would be something they wouldn't be overly familiar with, perhaps makes it all the more remarkable about how generous these people really are. So we get to the New Testament. Jesus takes this teaching on tithing, this teaching on giving, and he does with all of his teaching, he just takes it one step further. And it's not so much about what you give, it's about how you give. And the issue of giving is to do with love. A love for Jesus, a love for humanity, and a love for the church. And Jesus is more concerned about your heart. And tithing or giving should not be because of some ritual or some, I guess, mundane routine. It's not about thinking, what's the minimum I can get away with giving to God? Or perhaps, what's it going to cost just to buy God off and keep him off my back for a while? If I give a little bit of that, then I'll, you know, I'll, sort of, I'll buy a little bit of favor with God, and that'll work out better for me. And behind that question is a heart that loves money, that loves possessions, that loves ourselves more than we love God. So what really counts in Jesus' eyes is what motivates you're giving. What is the motive that lies behind the way in which you get? This is an issue of the heart. So we get into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 is probably the two um, chapters in the Bible that deal 
at least in the New Testament, that deal with this whole area of giving, perhaps most of all. And Paul encourages us to give freely, to give joyfully, and to give generously. And also giving is, is more than just money, of course. I've said already, it's, 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 it's about the practical things of life, the way in which we deal with one another. So we go to 1 John chapter 3, and it talks about how we need to bear with one another in their burdens. Or in Acts chapter 6, in the early church, the giving of hospitality. And all of these things, it's time, it's food, it's money. The list could go, go on and all. In fact, we see a great deal of evidence of this generosity, this lifestyle of giving within the early church. If you read the book of Acts, the way they just had everything in common, they were able to generously just share. If one was in need, somebody else would step in and give and help them out in that, in that particular situation. In fact, there's very little written in the New Testament concerning tithing. The word is barely ever mentioned, maybe once or twice in all of the New Testament. So perhaps one of the key verses that summarizes the teaching of the New Testament best of all is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You decide. That's what the New Testament says. You make the decision. This is between you and God. No one needs to feel condemned by how much they give or don't give. But also nobody needs to feel proud by how much they give either. So whether you give 5%, 10%, 50%, it doesn't change how much God loves you. God will not love you any more and he will not love you any less. Okay, we need to understand that fact as we move on to the next little section because often I'm asked the question, do I have to tithe? The answer, I think, is no. Do I have to give generously? Yes. <laughs> Big yes to that one. So in the Old Testament, tithing is clearly taught, but it's there's never any legal punishment for anybody who doesn't tithe. In the New Testament, no percentage is ever mentioned about how much we should be given. We're simply told, again, that verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, everyone must give as he or she has decided in their own heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, this decision is for your conscience. It's for you to make a decision over. It's between you and God. Nobody else is involved in this. You see, for some people, giving 10% of their income is truly sacrificial in comparison to what they've got left over. For others, giving 10% of their income is a drop in the bucket compared to what they've got left over. It's not even, it's not a challenge in any shape or form whatsoever, and certainly not generous. And the New Testament deliberately involves mentioning any percentage simply because there are always going to be people around who legalistically look at this and thinking, I've, done my, I've, I've hit my 10% quota, I've done my bit towards God, I've paid my debts towards Him, I'm home and dry, I'm sorted. That is not what the Bible says. That's not the way that we should be thinking if we're living under the grace of God within our lives. In fact, if we're thinking that way, we have completely missed 
what the Bible says and concerned in concerning of giving, because again, we come back to the point, God is ultimately concerned about your heart. And he's looking for men and women who have, first of all, given their hearts to Jesus out of a heart that has been changed by him, filled with his spirit, will flow the gift of generosity. And listen, this is a gift of the spirit. Again, we don't mention it very much when we bring our list. We like to mention all the other ones, but we don't mention this one very much. But it's, it's, it's mentioned about it as a gift of the Holy Spirit, this gift of giving and generosity. And some of you, God has given you that gift, and you need to be using it for the building of His kingdom, for His glory, and for His honor. So give because you love Jesus, and you want to see His kingdom grow, not because somebody tells you that you must do it. Now, one of the most common reasons that people will say, I can't give is because I'm on a very low income and I just can't afford to give anything at the moment. And, and then they go on to qualify it by saying something like this, that, you know, when I earn a lot more, then I'll be able to give. But as we already discussed, this is an issue of the heart. It's not the volume of money coming in that needs to change, it's our hearts that need to be changed in this particular area. So do we honestly think that writing a check, say for five pounds, is going to be more difficult than writing a check for, say, 500 pounds in a number of years' time when we're earning some more? Of course it's not. In actual fact, statistically, the more people earn, the smaller percentage they give away. That's just reality. This study's been done in this. That's the truth of the matter. So if you're sort of thinking, you know what, when I'm earning X amount of money, then I'll be able to start giving, that actually will never happen. That's, that's statistically what, what generally would, people would say. Don't put off starting giving just because you think you haven't got too much to give. Give what God enables you to give at this moment. And if it's a pound, if it's 50p, if it's 50 pounds, if it's five, whatever, whatever God has put in your heart to give, give. But I would encourage you, give something. It's a heart issue. So how much should we give? Again, get this one asked a few times as well. How much should I be, be giving? Well, as we said, hopefully you've got a feel of where we're going with this. But I will, I'm going to put some guidelines where I think is, is probably, probably helpful. So we think of the teaching of the Old Testament that teaches this principle of 10%. And actually, that is not a bad place to start. You know, there's no, we're not going to get caught up in, on, on numbers, but it's actually not a bad place to begin to think about. But then we get into the New Testament, and the overall teaching of the New Testament is to be generous in everything that we do. In fact, perhaps we should be thinking of going way beyond that amount of money, that 10% mark. So many Christians feel if I can just get up from a few percent up to close to 10%, actually I would argue, and I think there's a principle we could argue, again, I'm not, I'm not putting this down in stone, I'm just saying this is my thoughts, there's a good principle we could say from Scripture that actually we'd be thinking around about that 10% mark, but actually look of going way beyond that in terms of being generous with what we have and what we do. But the key, we come back to the key again, is that we give our giving should be done with joy, 
not with reluctance, but cheerfully and generously. And if we aren't able to give in that way, we need to go back to Jesus again to sort ourselves out in terms of asking him, in terms of what are we doing with this? Is our heart right? And out of a heart that is right, we will be wanting to be giving in some shape or form. And say the percentage is a lot less important than the joy and the generosity in which we give. And you wonder, don't you, how different churches would look if people give in this radical way, if they give 10%, perhaps even more of their income, there'd be certainly no limit to evangelism. We would probably have difficulty spending all the money that came in. Opportunities would increase, and actually we wouldn't have to worry about what we could afford. And maybe, just maybe, it might be the catalyst that would open the windows of heaven to fresh blessing and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. See, this is the radical way in which the Philippians give. In fact, Paul describes their giving as a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God, verse 18. And their giving was an act of worship to God in a way that was simply pleasing to Him. Giving is worship. We don't often think about it that way, but giving is actually and worship. And what we do with our money actually says a lot about where our hearts really lie. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, it says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And, and money should never be more important than God. But you will only understand this when you understand how much God loves you. And God has blessed us so much. We've heard about it this morning already as we've worshipped together. But God has blessed us so much. And in Jesus, we see the riches and the blessings of a loving Father. Listen, we don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve His forgiveness. But He sent His perfect Son, Jesus, into this world. As he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. He paid the ultimate price to give us life. And we see in God the perfect example of generosity. We see in Jesus Christ, one who give 100% of himself for every one of us. And surely understanding what God has done and God's grace at work in our lives surely should change the way in which we come to him. We owe him everything. Everything. He alone deserves our worship. But often worship, we, we, we downsize it to what we do here on a Sunday morning or as it was singing maybe songs for 30 minutes and, and maybe a few prayers and Bible stuff thrown in. But that's not really what true worship is, is all about because worship is sacrificial. That's what Philippians 4.18 says, worship is sacrificial. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, adds to this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And true worship will cost you something. And worship and giving are just intrinsically linked. So what we spend our money on actually shows where our priorities really lie. In fact, it shows where our hearts, it, it shows what we worship. And so many Christians come to, to church to worship God, but really struggle to put their hands in their pockets. And as Christians, we cannot claim to come to worship God and then give nothing to Him. That's not true worship. You know, for many people outside the church, they find their worship in other places. So they often find their worship down in the club or in the bar or on the football field. Or even this morning, I'm sure Cheshire Oaks is packed this morning with people worshiping the God of shopping. But at least they are willing to commit to it and put their money where their heart is. And Jesus wants all of your life. That includes your personal life, it includes your work life, it includes your relationships, your marriage, your family, it even includes your bank account. And that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. It's about living as Jesus lived in true worship that is acceptable and pleasing to God. But of course, I say it's more than just about, we've sort of centered on the, on, on the money thing and the giving thing, but of course, it's much wider and greater than all of that. See, the Philippians giving included sending Epaphroditus to Paul. It probably even included food and books and other things as well as their prayers. But the point is that the gift of money was only part of their participation and their fellowship with Paul in the work of the, work of the gospel. And Paul looks at their gift as an investment that would pay them rich spiritual dividends. And again, we come back to the point that God will never see you short. He will never see you short. It was easy for the Philippians to give joyfully because they were committed to the gospel and therefore to the work of Paul. In fact, it was obvious that they were going to be willing to, to be able to give to support him and this is always where true, genuine Christian giving starts. It's not about some arbitrary rule or about some percentage. They give themselves first to Jesus. Out of a love for Jesus, out of being filled with his spirit, then they were willing to just have this natural desire to help and to share in the opportunities of the gospel to support the preaching, the mission, and just the building and the, the expansion of the kingdom of God. And this is how we should see our giving, not as some burdensome duty, but as a joyful privilege. So in this little section, as the, we tie this to a close, we just see some great principles in place for how, and perhaps patterns in how Christian giving should be. Five quick things. Firstly, they give relationally. They supported Paul in many ways, not just with their money, but they give because they loved him. 
They had a relationship built up with him, and it's out of that relationship, out of that connection, that they could be generous in how they, they give unto him. The second thing is they give together as a church. There's not one person thinking, you know what? That fellow Paul, we should give him a few pounds. No, together. They come in unity together, and they give together with the same passion and desire to see God's kingdom grow, and Paul looked after as well, of course. The third thing is they give generously, even when other people weren't. In verse 15, you notice that actually a lot of the other churches, probably wealthier churches than Philippi, were were just not giving. They, they, they did nothing to help Paul whatsoever. Only the Philippians were willing to give, and they give generously to Paul and to the work of Paul. The fourth thing, they give consistently in the good times and in the bad times. You know, it's very easy for us to say, out of sight, out of mind. And Paul was he's in prison. He's locked away. Actually, you could very quickly forget about someone locked away in prison, but these guys didn't. They were consistent in their giving, both in the good times and also in the bad times. And then fifthly, they give wanting to please God. And perhaps the key, they give wanting to please God. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. That is how we should be giving. We don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it for anybody else. We do it as worship, and that's something that is pleasing and honoring to our God. Over these last few months, we've been running through this book um, of Philippians. We've entitled it Running Into Joy. And listen, there can be real joy in your giving, but as we've gone through the book, we've dealt with, with various things like suffering and, and persecution. We've dealt with this giving thing. We've dealt with just various different aspects of life. And Paul would say, you can have joy in each and every situation, in each and every circumstances, but the key is that you run towards Jesus. We heard last week, where's our contentment come? It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard again this morning, where's our contentment come? It comes, our joy comes from knowing Christ. As we run towards Jesus, you'll discover Jesus is running towards you. But as you get to Jesus, it requires us to turn around and go his direction, not our direction. That's what the Bible calls Repentance. And this begins with a changed heart. You will never be able to give generously if your heart is not aligned with the heart of Christ. It's just not possible because it'll be painful and it'll be difficult. And that doesn't really honor God. But when your heart is aligned with Christ, when you're walking with Jesus Christ, as you're running with him, he runs with you. It's a partnership thing. Sometimes he'll carry you along the way, but as you run with him, he will be with you every single step of the way. And I really want to encourage us to take seriously some of the, the words, the prophetic words we've heard already this morning, but we need to press deeper into Christ. We need to keep running towards him. And I know that most of you love the idea of this, but it's actually a very difficult thing to actually do it and put into practice. And sometimes we just simply need to stop and to get serious about Jesus. It doesn't matter how old you are, 
or how young you are. I've been listening to a few podcasts on running, as I do, probably quite boring to most of you, but and uh, just listened to some stuff about a, a race, and, and this race was a, one of these really long races over some of the mountainous terrains as it took a crazy amount of hours to do. And the interesting thing is to me, the, the person, there's the age gap of the folks who took in part in that. And the minimum age is 18. I think the youngest person to finish this 100-mile race was something like 19 years old. The oldest person in their, in their 70s. And listen, whatever age, you're never too young and you're never too old to get serious about Jesus. And there's been a push, or that's, we've been speaking already about this, this, we need to get serious about Jesus. There's a world out there who needs to hear about him and we need to get serious about him. And just as I've been preparing this, one of the, the words and the pictures that came to my mind Perhaps it's for some of you here today, it's simply this. That some of you, I'm just wore, I wore my running shoes for deliberately this morning, okay? I'm going to just take one of them off. And, and some of you are literally, you're running like this. You know how difficult it is to run with one shoe on? It's, it's, it's not impossible, but you limp along the way. You're not going to get very far. You're going to do yourself some serious injury, most likely. And you're probably going to fall and trip. And some of you are wondering, Why? You know what, you think, I really want to get serious about Christ, but I, the trouble is, you're half-hearted about Jesus. You've once you on, you've once you off. I want to encourage you, it's time to get serious, and it's time to put both of your shoes on to be in Christ completely. Not one foot here and one foot somewhere else, but both feet. Both feet with your shoes on so you can run with joy and run with Christ for the glory and for the honor of God. Let's just stand. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth of it. And Father, we, we do say, Lord, we love you. Lord, and we know we fail you sometimes, but we know, Lord, your grace is enough. But, Lord, we do want to get serious for you and about you, Lord. So, Father, I pray, God, help us by your Spirit. Father, put your Spirit upon us, Lord, and just speak to us now, Lord. Just challenge us in those areas of our life, Lord, that we need to give over to you completely, that 100% service of you, Lord God. Father, we may run with joy and that we may run with you. Father, I pray, give us the strength that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you will because you've promised your grace is enough for my life, for our lives. Amen.